Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Jane. So I'll be reading from... um, the NIV, if you think a couple of words sound a little bit different as I go through. Um, but let me pray as uh, we come to look at this text. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you have given us the gospel message of our Lord Jesus. Our Father, I pray that we would be holding fast to that message and living in accordance with it. Father, help me in my weakness as I preach your word now. Uh, Help me to preach faithfully as I ought. And I pray that you would give us hearts to receive your word by faith now and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, self-deception is a terrible thing. I think we all know that. Uh, I certainly do. I remember an incident uh, when I was in my first year of uni. Some of you may have heard this before. And... I decided to ask a girl out for the first time ever. And I'll be honest with you, I was feeling pretty confident about the whole thing, so I went up to her boldly and just put it out there. Do you want to do something Friday night? And she turned to me and said, I'm actually, that's when I work. I work on Friday nights. So totally oblivious to the social cues I was probably receiving, I went in for a second time. Oh, that's okay. I've got Saturday night free too. Would you like to do something then? That's when she said a little bit more bluntly, look, I just don't think so. So for a third time, (laughs) just joking. 
two times was enough to remind me how terrible it is to think you're on a track to a good thing only to crash and burn. Now, it's one thing to be self-deceived about a date, but it's quite another to be self-deceived about where you stand with Jesus on the day of judgment. You see, on the one hand, we have the image Peter gives us at the end of uh, this um, passage in verse 11. You see it there, he speaks of a day when Christians will rise to meet Jesus and he gives us that rich welcome he talks about into his eternal kingdom. There he is, waiting there with open arms to welcome you in. That sounds and just is so good to think about. But you see, on the other hand, we have another image in the Bible that relates to that very same day but has a very different outcome. Uh, in Matthew 27, uh, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says that there will be some people there on that day who thought they were Christian but were actually deceived. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only the one who does the will of my Father. You see, instead of a warm and rich welcome into Jesus' eternal kingdom, such people will be told plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, the difference between those two scenarios is like night and day. One is a warm welcome, the other is tragic rejection. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be deceived. I want to be sure I'm on the right side of that equation. And in our passage today and throughout this letter, Peter is going to be telling his readers and telling us how to be sure that we're not deceived into thinking Christianity is one thing when it's not that. How can we be sure that we're not deceived? And Peter says, growth in godliness. Verse 11, that's how you confirm your calling and election. Growth in godliness. Now, is Peter saying in this letter that we're saved by our good works? Well, no, throughout this letter, Peter maintains that it's always God's grace that saves and God's power that equips us to live his way. But what Peter is wanting from his readers is to keep living out the genuine faith he is confident they have. And so to help them in this, he explains the how, what, and why of Christian growth. How we can grow as Christians, what it actually is that we need to pursue, and why growth is a must. So let's think firstly about how we grow as Christians. Growth in godliness is rooted in God's grace and always achieved through God's power. And you see, that's the note that Peter starts on. He reminds his readers that they are people who are first and foremost saved by God's grace through their knowledge of Jesus Christ who died for their sins to bring them peace with God. Look at verses 1 and 2. Simon Peter, 
a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Saved by God's grace, says Peter, but not only saved, equipped to live God's way. Look at verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we might take that slide down off that uh, projector. God equips all those he calls. He gives us his power so that we can live his way. And you see, in verse 4, Peter shows us just how awesome it is. You see, it's like he's saying, guys, think of the promises that you have in the gospel. You've been united to the Son of God by the Spirit who dwells in you. You used to belong to the corrupt world, but now because of God's grace, you participate in the divine nature. Or you used to live according to your selfish desire, selfish and evil desires, but now because of God's Spirit, you can live a life pleasing to God. There's actually hope now. Look at verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's a bit like the story of Oliver Twist, if you've seen that. It usually came on sort of Saturday afternoons, the 1960s version. See, born and raised in poverty, Oliver Twist gets caught up with a bunch of pickpockets in London. But in a remarkable display of kindness, Oliver Twist is taken in by the wealthy Mr. Brownlow. And you see, the difference in Oliver Twist's two worlds is like night and day, if you remember the movie. One world is kind of grimy, stinking, and corrupt, and the other world is clean, safe, and secure. And that's why Oliver Twist suddenly breaks out in song in that scene down the bottom. What is it? Who will buy this wonderful feeling? You see, the difference, though, that Peter is talking about here that has happened in the life of a Christian is greater than that. You see, we were united to a corrupt and sinful world, but now because of God's grace, we're united to God himself by his spirit. By his spirit, we now participate in the divine nature and have God's power to live God's way. Now, I think this is a a really big promise that Peter is telling us here that we often forget or maybe don't even know about. You see, it's so natural to think of growth in godliness as something that kind of needs to come from our own willpower within ourselves. And this is what I call gym poster godliness. You see, in a gym, when I've been to the gym, 
haven't been for a while, there are always posters asking you to find the power within yourself. Find the power within yourself to keep going, keep training, keep doing more. But you see, if we think growth in godliness rests solely on our power and our strength, well, just like I give up so easily at the gym, it's not going to be long before we just throw up our hands and say, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me right now to forgive her because what she said hurts too deep. I don't have it in me to go more than a week without looking at pornography. The temptation is too strong. I don't have it in me to go and speak with that new person who's sitting there on their own. But you see, if we grasp hold of the promise Peter is telling us here, that living God's way depends on God's divine power, well, that changes things. It means we don't have to throw in the towel because there's always hope to keep at it. Hope found in God's power. See, I may not have it in me to forgive her, but Christ has equipped me with his power to help me make the effort. I may not have it in me to to stop looking at pornography, but Christ has equipped me with his power to make the effort. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a, a great preacher in the 19th century, said this, If God gives you the grace to make you believe, he will give you the grace to live a holy life afterward. And actually, that's what Peter's getting at here. His divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness. So let's consider the second point. What does growth look like? Well, Peter gives us a list of eight virtues that describe what a growing Christian looks like. And, but he begins in verse 5, you'll notice, by saying, for this very reason. That is, because you've received God's grace, because you've got God's power to live his way, now you can make every effort to grow. It's a bit like um, I was teaching Camille to ride a bike a week or two ago. And in the process of learning, I want her first to rely on me, but also to put in the effort. You see, she needs to rely on first on the fact that, one, I love her, two, I won't let her fall, and three, that I'm going to help her in the whole process. But as she relies on me, still I ask her to pedal. If she's going to grow in her ability to ride, she actually needs to learn how to pedal. I'm calling her to rely on me as I call her to pedal. See, we're saved by God, loved by God, helped by God, and now he asks us to pedal, to actually grow in godliness for this very reason. Make every effort. And so what does he call us to make effort in? Well, his starting point is faith. Verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, this characteristic of faith, 
that is the one from which all the others spring. You see, it refers to a basic trust in God and a reliance on the death and resurrection of Jesus as the sole means by which we're saved. Christian growth is first and foremost rooted in basic faith. Christ works his power in the life of the one whose faith is in him. And so if you're here this weekend and you're not actually yet a follower of Jesus, faith is where you need to start. That's where you need to keep coming back to. Because simply trying to live a good and moral life without faith in Jesus will actually do you no good with God. What he wants is faith in Jesus as your saviour and as your Lord. We need faith in Jesus as the one who saves us and the one who changes us. And so what are we to add to faith, says Peter? Well, firstly, goodness. Now that's the same word used to describe Christ back in verse 3, and therefore it probably means something like Christ-likeness. See, goodness says, I'm going to stand out from the world and live like my saviour. Or the world might be okay with gossip, but not me. The world might be okay with sex outside of marriage, but not me. The world might be okay with little white lies in the workplace, but not me, because I'm pursuing goodness, Christ-likeness. Pursuing what is good, turning from what is evil. And to goodness, knowledge. Now, that's not just knowledge in general, like I watched a YouTube to figure out how to tie winds or not. Not just general knowledge. It's a knowledge that's focused on the Lord Jesus. Often when Peter speaks of knowledge throughout this letter, it's in reference to Jesus. I've been meeting up with a guy at Surrey Hills, Prezi, this year, and he said he wanted to grow in his... Uh, Christian faith and his knowledge and his maturity, and he felt that reading the Bible with someone might help him in this process. And actually, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? If we're going to grow in our knowledge of Christ, we actually have to go to his word. The Bible tells us who Jesus is, what he's done, and how we should live. And so that's what we need to be pursuing, knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we know there are things in our lives that can get out of hand and do damage. Sometimes it's our sexual impulses. Sometimes it's our appetites. Sometimes it's our anger. But you see, self-control reigns those things in. So when you're irritable and overtired, what's going to stop you from flying off the handle at your housemate or your spouse, well, it's self-control. If you're feeling lonely and find yourself in your house, what's going to stop you from looking at pornography? Self-control. See, imagine how good it would be if self-control just burst into our lives in every area. And to self-control, perseverance. Perseverance has to do with our response to uninvited pain. Perseverance clings to the promises of God in difficult times. Perseverance helps us to say, though I am suffering, though I'm doing it tough, I'm sticking with God. 
because I know his love for me hasn't changed. He really did send his son to die for me. He really did raise Jesus to life. He's here with me in this struggle. And one day he's going to raise me up to be with him forever. There is no greater love and no greater hope for me than that which is found in Jesus. So I'm sticking with him. I'm persevering. And to perseverance, godliness. Now, Christians have referred to this sometimes by other names. Um, Sometimes they've called it reverence or piety. But godliness is a life lived with deep awareness that you're in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father. In that respect, it's kind of like the opposite of worldliness. Worldliness says, I just live for the pleasures of this world. And God can kind of be ignored in that process. But godliness says, I live in the presence of God, and therefore how I relate to him and people made in his image matters. And to godliness, mutual affection or brotherly kindness, it's called in some translations. See, this characteristic is the one that should mark our relationships with each other in church. You see, church shouldn't be a place of cliques, where we just associate with people we only want to associate or are like ourselves. It shouldn't be a place where we're cold or a bit prickly to each other. It should be a place where each of us views one another as a brother or sister in Jesus. It should be a place where we have genuine love and respect for one another. And a simple test I've always used is this. Is there a person I would never sit next to in church? And why is that? And what will it look like for me to show that person some more brotherly or sisterly kindness? And to mutual affection, love. Now here the list finishes on perhaps the capstone of all the virtues, love. That general attitude to do good to another person, that just pervades everything that we do and say. Because I love you, well, I'm not going to moan about your snoring last night. Because I love you, well, I'm not going to retaliate when you hurt me. Because I love you, I'm going to speak honestly but gently when I see you slipping into sin. Because I love you, I will get to know who you are And know what builds you up. Because I love you, I'm not just going to let you remain a face that I know on Sundays, that I see on Sundays, but I don't actually know. I'm going to do those things because I love you. Well, there we have eight virtues that Jesus wants to see growing in our lives as we follow him. But you see, why bother making the effort? Because, let's be honest, fighting sin and growing in godliness is hard work. So why bother? Well, Peter tells us the reason in our third point, why growth is a must. And Peter gives us two big reasons. First, we pursue growth because it's the productive life. 
And second, we pursue growth because it's the certain life. Firstly, it's the productive life. Christians grow in godliness because that is the life that pleases Jesus. That is the life he looks at and says, you're being effective, you're being productive, you're living the kind of life that tells me you understand what I did for you at the cross. You're not just someone who simply can recite the gospel message, you believe it. Look at what he says in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be a person who, who grows in godliness is to be a person who gets what Jesus did for them at the cross. But to be a person who thinks that godliness is optional, I can still follow Jesus and live life on my terms. Well, Peter's saying that person doesn't really get who Jesus is. That person is blind to the great sacrifice he makes for them. Look at what Peter says in verse 9. But if anyone doesn't have these qualities, he is nearsighted, he's blind, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. See, Peter wants Christians so captivated by the cross that we live productive lives, growing in godliness. Now, sometimes I think we can misunderstand what it means to actually live a productive life for Jesus. Sometimes I think we think a productive life, we think of a productive life in very kind of narrow categories. Sometimes we might think the productive life is one where I'm just powering out evangelism. If I can do evangelism really well, that's what's going to please Jesus. Sometimes we might think the productive life is one where I do a traineeship or I go to Bible college. That surely pleases Jesus. Now, they're both good things. But you see, Peter's view of the productive life of a Christian is actually much broader than that. It's a whole life attitude of godliness that we live out anytime, anywhere. We can live it out as a single person, married, employed, unemployed. You can be godly anytime, anywhere, living that productive life. Think about it. The decision to say one kind word to your spouse or your housemate per day, productive life. Self-control on the road after a long weekend when you're tireable, tired and irritable and you just want to bang that horn, self-control, productive life. Reading the Bible on your iPhone as you head into the city on your way to work so that you can grow in knowledge. Productive life. You see, these are just some of the kinds of decisions made in the humdrum of life, church and family, that Jesus says, yeah, that's the effective life. That's the productive life. That's someone that's growing. We want to grow in these things because we want our master to, to see our lives as productive. But the other reason we grow is that it provides certainty. See, as we grow in godliness, we see that God is really at work in us. We see that he has saved us 
and is changing us. You see, if something is alive, it will grow. People who are spiritually alive, called and elected by God, will make the effort to grow. They will go the distance to Jesus' kingdom. He doesn't want us worrying about our salvation. He wants us growing so that we can live a certain life. See, look at what he writes in verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Those who are welcomed by Christ will make the effort to live for Christ. Now, I think Peter's words here teach us kind of two big things about what it means to be devoted to God's way, to be growing in godliness. First, they kind of remind us that godliness is never easy. But second, that it's always worth it. Never easy, but always worth it. Uh, Our pastor at Surrey Hills, um, Presbyterian, has often said a number of times, and it's always really stuck with me, he says, you never slip into godliness. Sin you slip into, but you never slip into godliness. Godliness you have to work at. And that's true, isn't it? Godliness is actually hard work. That's why Peter tells us in verse 5 and in in verse 10 to make every effort. Not to just sit back and wait for godliness to be plugged in like Neo in the Matrix. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But you see, if you're here this morning and you're just feeling a bit discouraged that you're not growing, well, that's okay. Start today. Start today. Come back to the basic gospel of Jesus, who so loved you that he died for you. Take comfort in that gospel message, that he has given you peace with the living God, that he has taken your punishment for sin, and that he's broken the power of sin over your life. And live by his power. I mean, I need this message. I'll give you an example. The other day I was driving home for a, from a full day of study and I was just in a bit of a mood. See, I felt my day just hadn't been as productive as I want, a lot of distractions, and so I just felt a little bit irritable, a bit tired, and I thought, man, if my heart doesn't change by the time I walk through my door, I'm asking for trouble. Because I could see myself, you know, walking in that door and just being overly frustrated with tired and hangry kids. I could see myself being so absorbed in my own frustrations that I failed to ask Ruth how her day was. I could see myself being critical of those little things, you know, why is the dishwasher not stacked correctly? Why don't we have any milk in the fridge around here? You see, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see how that scenario kind of lacks all sorts of goodness, self-control, and affection. 
But you see, isn't it good to think that in a moment like that, which I'm sure you've all had, that in a moment like that, I can call upon Jesus' divine power to help me. And that's exactly what I did, actually. In the car, on the way home, I prayed that Jesus' power would give me the ability to do what I can't do on my own, which is be godly. Now, did I become the perfect husband and father when I got home? Yeah. Well, probably not the most perfect. But did Jesus help me to exercise a level of self-control and godliness that meant I wasn't a complete pain for the rest of my family to be around? Yes. See, next time you feel the struggle to be godly, actually cry out to Jesus and just be honest, I can't do this, but you can. Please help me. You see, we all need to be doing this because we're all in this battle together. And we need to be helping one another to keep going, keep trusting, keep living God's way. None of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We all need each other's support and help in this. So take the opportunity, even over this weekend, to speak with maybe just one person and ask them how they're going, growing in godliness and how you might be able to support them in that. It's never easy, but it's always better. Uh, J.I. Packer, another Christian writer, said this, The way to be truly human, uh, sorry, the way to be truly happy is to be truly human. And the way to be truly human is to be truly godly. You see, we need to think like that. We need to think what a wonderful thing it is to live more in line with what God made us for. It's the productive life. It's the certain life. A life that gives us confidence that God is at work in us and that we are on track to that great and wonderful day in which Jesus will say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's pray. My gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us by your grace. We thank you that though we are sinners saved by your grace, you have not left us to our own devices. You've not left us to face the battle of sin on our own. Thank you that you've given us your divine power that equips us to live the life you have called us to. Lord, help us to do that this morning, putting on Christ-likeness and all the virtues that we've read. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.